0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 31. It is April 1st, 2019. I am currently in Bristol, England with Cuckoo Kangaroo and Ran. We are shooting a music video today for a song I wrote about Stonehenge with these guys. And our friend Marianne Harris is doing the music video. She did the Ballad of Hans Molman video. She's awesome. And so that's what's up today. You still got a chance to see us if you haven't caught us yet. We are in Birmingham on the 2nd, Leicester on the 3rd, Leeds on the 5th, Stockport, which is Manchester, on the 6th, Newcastle on the 7th, Glasgow, Scotland on the 9th, Huddersfield on the 10th, Nottingham on the 11th, and then we finish in London on the 13th. Then we go to America play a a different set a different lineup it's front a lot megaran Schaefer, the dark lord and me we start april 30th in fargo may 1st in minneapolis may 2nd in milwaukee may 3rd in chicago may 4th in pontiac michigan which is near detroit may 5th in lakewood ohio which is cleveland may 7th in rochester may 8th columbus may 9th pittsburgh may 10th nashville tennessee may 11th birmingham alabama may 12th charlotte north carolina may 13th atlanta May 14th, Gainesville, Florida. May 15th, West Palm Beach, Florida, which is kind of near Miami. Then May 16th, we play Orlando, Florida. Then June 8th, I'm doing a full band reunion show with my original bandmates in Boston at the Brighton Music Hall with Big D and the Kids Table. So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to shout out uh, Patreon supporters. Shout out to our new supporters, Nicholas, Nathan, and Matthew. And shout out to our OG supporters, Alex, Eli, and Dylan. So even though today's April Fool's, this is a very serious episode. And for those of you who've been following the podcast and listening to me on my Patreon jams and reading my Patreon essays, I just finished Infinite Jest and uh, interviewed Greg Carlisle, who I talk, I've i talked about that interview a lot. That's coming up. And the end of Infinite Jest, it's, it's actually the beginning of the book where Hal Incandenza is given this gift from his father posthumously to get him to try to have feelings, to feel his voice and feel what he's feeling. But in feeling feelings, he loses his voice. So it's kind of ironic that, I'm going to spoil the plot a little bit, but that he comes out of his shell, but then can't communicate. And um, it's made me think a lot about a gift a friend gave me... Who passed away? My friend Patrick, who I wrote twenty three about, who a lot of you have probably heard or seen the video of or seen me play live, and these days, you know, I've been a little bit sad. I had a fa- a very close family member take her life at last year, and um, I was on tour, and it was just really hard, like dealing with that. And we're going to have her her memorial service when I get back to California, but. Death and depression and all this stuff is such a bummer to put it lightly, and it's even worse for the people who suffer it because sometimes we can't really know exactly what they're going through. And today's episode is with Lisette Reimer, the mother of my friend Patrick Wood, who wrote a book called Parade Rest about what it's been like having a, a a child take his life, and I cannot imagine the pain of having raising a kid and having him removed from your life. Um I, I lost a friend, but she lost a, a son, a part of her. So I, I've just been you know kind of feeling my feelings more. And this podcast was super emotional to do. I, I went to Pat's house where I I talked about this in the song um when I went to visit them and when right when he passed, you know, I'd never been to his house but I knew him well and I and I knew You know, I was familiar with stories of his family, and to see everything in a light like that was really, like, sad. But this time, going back 13 years later, it was a little easier, and it kind of gave me some perspective on the pain I've been feeling about losing my aunt, who um, recently took her life. So, uh, being able to talk about this stuff and go deep about the feelings and the hows and the whys is therapeutic it's it's exhausting and this podcast you know you might want a box of kleenex next to you when you listen to it but it was really great to see to see pat's mom and connect with her as a friend as two adults trying to process this stuff and she read from her book and we told stories and it was just very visceral and real but it was also there was some optimism in that like we heal a little bit it, it always hurts but we heal i tell a story of a dream i had where I saw Pat and he told me to let go and keep laughing. And so, yeah, oh man, it's even emotional in- introducing this. I, you know, I try to keep, this podcast is happy and fun, but this is a very serious episode. So um, we're going to end with the 23 remix, which I did in 2011 with Weird Science. Um, and it's about like the healing of, of that comes with music. And of course, I'm playing this song, in the uk this tour so you know that's kind of that's like it, it's just been you know it all comes back but there's a light through the sadness so lisette thank you for being on the show thank you for inviting me to your house for for making me lunch for always being you know a good sounding board and having an open heart and all the work you do to help keep your son's memory alive and i hope that the lesson comes from this you know to to have an open heart to be there for our friends to know there's certain things we can't control but if look for the signs, you know, if people people are suffering and just know that, you know, that you always have someone to call even when it feels like you can't escape like the darkest hole you've ever been in, you know? Sometimes your brain, the point we kind of get to, sometimes your brain lies to you. Sometimes what makes suicide and depression so confusing is that like you have an organ that is mentally ill, like, you know, that is ill, like having diabetes, you know? But the thing is you're, it's like having your your body tell you you don't need insulin that you're fine when meanwhile you're like like going into diabetic shock. it's similar so I'm you know obviously I'm not a trained professional, and I can only talk about these things peripherally, but I think the subjective story here is one of optimism and hope and Lisette and her family are such strong, amazing people the way they persevered and kept Pat's memory alive and I hope we we can all keep his memory alive by finding the good in this so. Yeah. Pat will always be 23 to me because that was the last age I knew him as. And that's, that was the age he was when he took his life. And in a way, you know, that there's something beautiful about this, the memories I have of him. They'll always be there. So, all right, well let's get into the interview and um, I'll post more about Lisette's book when it comes out. She's doing the final editing and stuff, but she talks about the writing process and how that's been. And so this is my interview with Lisette Reimer. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a special episode of MC Lars Podcast. I'm here with Lisette Reimer, the mother of my late friend Patrick Wood, and Lisette, you said maybe you'd want to start off the episode reading something. Oh, great. Okay. Is that cool?
1: Yes. Um, this is a section from my book about Pat, uh, which takes place uh, when we came to see you performing at Amoeba Records in San Francisco. And um, Pat's twin sister, Libby, and her partner, Lindsay, and I drove up From Santa Cruz where uh, Libby and Lindsay were living at the time. And so that's the background. We drove to San Francisco to see Pat's Stanford roommate Andrew perform his laptop rap. We drove past the golden vastness of coastal Route 1, the treeless hills, the sparkling water on beaches and boulders, windsurfers mingled sails with sky, fields of yellow mustard mounded into hills to the east, We wormed through commuter traffic in Daly City, and then took the fastest streets to save time. Portola to Market to 17th Street in the Castro, with rainbow flags flying, and then into the hate. Rattles drowned out conversations in Lindsay's ancient Volvo. Its transmission clunked from first to second gear. A downshift and smaller clunk nursed it up San Francisco hills. We leveled out on Haight Street and back and forth into a parallel spot close to Amoeba Music. Its neon bowling alley marquee advertised records, posters, videos. A green and blue mural with stars and balls topped the storefront. The inside was divided by signs for CDs and LPs. Posters covered the walls. A non-smiling bouncer gestured at my backpack. Libby unhooked it from my shoulders and gave it to him. She held my hand as we walked past aisles of new and used vinyl records, which spread out from a nave of creaky floorboards. Drums and bass from the back of the building grew louder. Libby guided me to a gathering of Andrew's fans. She and Lindsay blended with their dark skinny jeans, Converse All-Stars, and worn T-shirts. The crowd sang, jumped, and waved with Andrew's rhythms. Beats pounded. Heads bobbed, feet tapped. Andrew bounced, hand up, hand down, words, words, words. Video backed up audible snatches. The Raven in nerd rap. Moby Dick with children in fish costumes on the screen behind Andrew. The music quieted. This next song is dedicated to my friend, Pat Wood. Pat suffered from depression and took his own life and I really miss him. I want everybody to understand depression better, for Pat. Photos of Pat in fourth, sixth, and eighth grade came up on the screen, followed by pictures at Stanford with Andrew. Then a sharp tone beat. Down the hall, there's a kid that I know. He's kind of quirky, so I say hello. He's so sarcastic, but he's always right, working on those problem sets late into the night. Mad magazines sit piled by his bed, a million brilliant thoughts going all through his head. We biked to class in the autumn rain. He tells me that he's fine, but I know he's in pain. Pat, I miss you, dude. It's so hard to say goodbye. In Europe last winter, you were tired of the lie. Monoxide in the bathroom, but the door was locked. We were always there for you. You could have called and talked. I felt guilty and alone and so sick when I discovered You did it in Berlin. You had just talked to your mother. I guess it was too much. Depression, disillusion, maybe suicide's an answer, but it wasn't the solution. And I wish that you hadn't done it, could have won it, and moved on from it. The hipster crowd was silent. Some swayed slowly I stood behind them out of place with my gray hair and preppy khakis. Andrew, known as MC Lars, introduced me as Pat's mom, and the crowd turned toward me as if to meet what was left of Pat's life. When the volume died down, Andrew signed posters of his album, This Gigantic Robot Kills, with Pat's song, 23. Keep Pat Wood's memory alive, he scrawled over cartoon figures of a robot with a chainsaw. (laughs) Be happy and be yourself. Listen to your friends with an open heart. Your friend, M.C. Lars. Friends from Stanford told Pat stories to Libby. Your brother was so quiet, one of them remembered. And then he would come out with something hilarious. He would wait for a pause in the conversation, and then he would say something out of the blue like, So, speaking of penises... (laughs) And then the jokes would pile on from there. Andrew's backup singer said he was so smart, but you would never know it by talking to him. He was just one of us. Pat's friends were an unlikely support group of hipsters and rappers one-third my age. They were the children teaching the mother about the son.
0: Wow, (laughs) that's a really beautiful piece. remember you emailed that to me because you wanted to use the lyrics for the um for your book and of course i was honored it's really touching to hear you b- read those lines i mean especially the the part in the verse about when he called you you know um yeah it's it's it, the last time i was here at your house was right after it happened and i remember it was it, it's coming back now so many years later it's it's not as sad because mm-hmm. we're here to celebrate your son and I'm going to England for the 10 year anniversary of that album yeah. and it's been a real keeping in touch with you over the years has been a it's been really helpful for me and I hope it's been helpful for you
1: yeah oh, definitely definitely because you know Pat pat killed himself in Berlin so I was re- reliant on a lot of his friends so that I could find out what what he was like uh, closer to the time that he did it. The last time I saw him was the Christmas of 2005, um, which was about a month before he killed himself. And so I was like a, a detective looking for information and so I emailed everybody. Um, I was desperate, really information about what was going on with him. I mean, I knew he was sad, but I really had no clue how depression worked, how um, somebody so brilliant could uh, give all that up and not want to be around anymore. And so I think that's why I wrote the book. because. I just couldn't let it go, you know. I just couldn't get it. So, um, at first I I sort of attacked it through family history, you know, where did this come from? Well, my mother died of alcoholism, and I thought, well, it was just an accident. She didn't really wanna die. Every time she had, uh, she had been drinking before, when I was younger, she would always come back, and she would be great, and she was a great parent, and then, periodically, she would just kind of disappear and really be in a coma with, with alcohol. I, I never really got that up-and-down mood um, that was going on with her. I, mm-hmm. I really just never got it. And so, when she died, uh, I had already had Colin. And, um, you know, I was thinking about life. I really wasn't able... At that point, to concentrate too much on death. When Pat died, okay. This I got to figure this out. This is this is just unbelievable. That when he died, I knew hit the background. I knew this child came from a fairly normal upbringing. There was absolutely no reason in my mind, no logical reason that someone with that his ability, with the love I thought I gave him, um, a pretty strong family, you know, established enough to give him a Stanford education. I just didn't I just didn't get it. It just smacked me in the face with a two by four. That's what it did.
0: And it's like, what I'm learning, what I've learned recently is, you can never really know how depression feels, right? And it's like, for me, it was, it's was, it been a process of knowing that sometimes you do all you can. And if someone, I just wish he had called me or something like in those final hours. And that, that vulnerability, is what made him so special and brilliant and unique and that not you know he'd he'd gone off his meds right and that was a decision he made that wasn't anyone's fault it was just a horrible circumstance mm-hmm. yeah. and, and he you know I, I guess I always loved his stories about Germany because he was home there yeah. he really had remember his emails <laughs> about there and how how much fun he had in finding love and his career opportunities. And he'd, he'd done his master's, right? Or he was in the process?
1: Well, he had been admitted to the um, computer science master's program. So he was in something called Coterm, yeah. where you're sort of working on your master's and you're finishing your undergrad degree at the same time. And, um, but he, he basically put that on hold so that he could stay in Berlin longer. And I encouraged him to do it because I thought maybe it's the pressure from school, you know. Maybe he just—I—I I didn't want him to think that I was, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing for him to achieve and 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 constantly do well and get degrees and things like that. I—I I, I just wanted him to be free. I wanted him to be happy. And he had a good friend over there, and and honestly, he loved the the, the club scene. I mean. Right. He, he was very, very popular there. So when I would make these periodic trips to Berlin, um, I would meet his, his friends, um, beautiful young men who wanted to be with him. Um, so, yes, uh, there was, a, there was a, a boy who rejected Pat, um, but at the same time, Pat was doing a lot of the rejecting. And so nothing added up to why he did this. It had to be something besides, yes, he was exploring his sexuality, um, but a lot of gay men explore their sexuality and... I just didn't understand what a hurdle that was. I think the only thing that haunts me still is what Libby has pointed out to me because both Patrick and Libby are gay, they're twins, Mm -hmm. and um, it was Libby who really tried to explain to me how difficult that is to be gay in this world Mm. whether you're in this country or germany or you have you have tremendous fear of rejection because each social so, social situation you're you're feeling it out um you're seeing people differently i mean what's what's the um uh, percentage of of gay people in in the population i think the estimate is is five to ten percent i would certainly go higher now that People are being more upfront Mm -hmm. about their sexuality. Um, So that means 90% at at the very least um, are people that (laughs) are going to reject you you if you approach them. It must be incredibly difficult terrain to navigate. I never really got this because he had prepared himself in every way possible. But as Libby explained it's a lot harder than i thought it was it's a lot harder and even pat's friend uh, ryan Wirtz, who really saved me after pat died because ryan and patrick were great friends and ryan knew patrick probably better than anyone including me at the time that pat died um said that you know you think you think you're going to go to stanford stanford's going to be a great place it's on the west coast it's it's liberal it's 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 nerdy. It's it's funny, yeah. And it's not. Mm. It's not that easy, because again, most of the people there are straight.
0: That's interesting, and and it's um, there's always this metaphor. I remember people talking about everyone was like a duck there, we're floating on the water, <laughs> but underneath we're paddling like crazy to keep up, because mm. everyone in your class is like, sixteen hundred SAT, got into all these other great schools and. It's um, yeah. Your light, I found for me was my my release was music, but my light wouldn't. It didn't feel like it shined as brightly, oh, yeah. you know, compared to high school. And I remember with Pat, like, it slowly. I I didn't find out he was gay until probably sophomore year, or because he never. I never knew about it. I remember what, there was this event called Full Moon on the Quad, where the freshmen would go kiss the seniors and on the full moon. And he and I w- both thought it was like weird. So we held back outside of the circle because it felt weird to be in this like an institutionalized party, Bacchanalian thing. And, you know, and that was like, we we're both shy, but also it was like to be forced with this heteronormative um, like experience, you know, it's kind of like not so fun, you know, like this idea that you're forced to be happy in a certain way. And Pat was uh, something I love loved about your son and always will. He did things his own way. He didn't, subscribe to the normal way of doing things and a lot of college I guess is about conformity even in a, in a nonconformist elite university mm-hmm. but i remember like how hard he worked you know and he kind of like threw himself into his assignments but then he'd make time to have fun and hang out and
1: that's good yeah i'm really glad to hear that because <laughs> yeah. i was i'm afraid after reading his uh psychiatrist notes that, um, and also talking to him, is that he worked too hard. And um, he would stay up all night, for example, uh, making his math homework look like it was out of a textbook. Hmm. So in other words, he would download the fonts that he needed, all the math symbols, and he would type... His math homework. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to type math, <laughs> but wow. it's really hard. Yeah. And so he would stay up all night doing that. And I thought, I don't, I don't understand. He said, it's be- it's because I don't know when to stop. Mm. I don't know how to stop. And so when I read his psychiatrist's notes, um, that was a pattern. He just didn't, I mean, I don't want to use the word perfect because I don't want everybody to say, oh, well, that's why, you know, he couldn't be perfect. So I don't think it was that so much as he just, I think he suffered from a disease And I just did not understand what the disease was until I read enough about it that I was finally satisfied with a very um, layperson understanding of it. But it also helped me understand that there's a stigma attached to it um, because I don't think everybody understands that it's a disease, that that it's a physical disease. So as we were talking about earlier, if there's, if there's anything that I've come away with that I would like other people to know, it's that I have learned that depression is a disease of the brain, and I've, I've learned that the brain is an organ, just like any other part of your body and it is subject to flaws. Mm. And I, I, it took me a long time to discover that because most of, the, most of the literature on depression is about how people think. And what I came to believe is that the very organ which is doing the thinking is defective and it tells people to either jump off the golden gate bridge or to eliminate all the other options or to concentrate on this one tunnel vision of pain and it shuts down all the other processes and when i say it i mean it in the real sense of the word and i finally came across a book that explained it in layman's terms as best as possible, and that was a book called Against Depression by Peter Kramer because he described all of the research that um, shows what depression really looks like because that was... Nothing else made sense. You are in position to be the most amazing person I've ever known, and you, you, <laughs> you gave it up. Because what what is it that makes you focus on that being the only option? And and I think it's a physical process. It's a it's a, it's a pathology that I don't think a lot of people understand. I think like me, they maybe thought, oh well, his girlfriend um, yeah. jilted him or. Um, um, you know, he felt pressure in the army, or and he he couldn't say anything about it, or something like that. You know, it's like, no, this is this is like a tumor in your brain that's killing you, and you don't have any oxycontin for it.
0: Or like that's a really good example. Or like someone who who's diabetic who needs insulin, mm-hmm. and it's like a, a a physical organ that's not acting. Properly and like you said so well, if it's your mind, then you're unable to see that to diagnose yourself. Yeah, right. And that's like, um, that's like the real thing that's so sad about suicide is you can't undo it. And I know, I know that if, like, if we if we had had a chance to be there with him or or if you know if mm-hmm. his, we would
1: have stopped him, yeah, you would have. And, and that's like, and I know he wouldn't make that decision again. You know, there was an interesting thing on. Um, one of our favorite organizations um the american foundation for suicide prevention mm. who you turn to um we, we both turn to that organization separately yeah you for um the beautiful song 23 which i just read and me uh, out of desperation for what is this yeah. you know why um and i i went back to that site again in preparation for today mm. just to see what the latest is. I mean to me there's just there's there's gotta be something that's gonna come along and be a cure. And I know that's wishful, but I mean the rates of suicide are just are just increasing. It's it's just it's a scourge. It's yeah. just it's just it's a scourge everywhere. I mean, it's responsible for 9/11. It's it's responsible for, mm. um, you know, the 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 school shooting and Sandy Hook. I mean, yeah. Virginia Tech. I mean that that young man killed 32 people and then killed himself. And I remember watching the news after that Virgi- Virginia Tech shooting. I think that was in I don't know 2008, something like that. Yeah. Not long after Pat died in 2006. Watching that and thinking, all right, all right, people, let's see you try to come up with an answer. Let's see. And it's like everybody's floundering. They're all struggling to understand what this is. So anyway, I went back to the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and one of the lead doctors was saying, "The, the urge to kill yourself is temporary. It will pass if you can just find a way to distract yourself. In Pat's case, his psychiatrist very wisely said, here's a plan for safety for you. Call for help. If you if you just can hang on while your mind is closing itself down and going farther and farther in. And the doctor on, um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention said, you're fighting your mind, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And she, she made that separation between your actions and what your mind is telling you to do, whether it's voices or just narrowing like that. And I thought, this is, this is good to understand intellectually, but you only have one mind. What's the other mind that you're going to use to fight it with? There isn't any. You got one.
0: Yeah. And that's, I guess, the being able to reach the right professionals and the mind, having faith that, it's a weird thing to be able to have faith that, oh, I'm seeing the world wrong. These people are right." right. When you're such, Pat was such a brilliant, capable, amazing person that like he had this idea, well, maybe I'm smarter than them you know or like maybe. maybe i see things more clearly than them I, I mean it seems also that being 23 is is freaking hard too <laughs> like even when you're not depressed or or dealing with you know finding your soulmate and stuff like that living in another country starting yeah. a new career and having gotten in, accepted into an amazing masters program yeah. like 23 so it's just it's just it's yeah it's something i i still I'm sad about, but I, but, but I remember we went, I went to the reunion in 2015 and my wife was my then fiance or girlfriend was there and I talked about him. And I spoke in front of the class, like people had done interesting things. Then we drove back up. I was living in Marin County and I remember she was asleep and I remember crying, going over the Golden Gate Bridge, wishing that he had been there. And it was like seeing all of our old friends and remembering him. I was like, God, I remember our trips to like, get food at night and sitting on, you know, I talked about El Camino when he told me his secret and passing all these places and being like, God, what, I really wish he'd been there. Like, and I, and for me personally, it was dealing with anger that like, why, why couldn't you come back to me as a friend and call me or email me that it was so hard. I remember I'd seen him on campus when he was studying and he told me he'd been in the hospital that summer of 20, 2005. Right. And I didn't, you know, he joked, like, he, there was this song called Happy Pills by this guy Aesop Rock. And he'd be like, oh, I take my happy pills, too. Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, and he would he like, the way he talked about it was with humor. But then I knew it was serious. But I always was, like, surprised by that, too.
1: That's the thing that always threw me is that he was in the hospital. Uh, I regret horribly not going out there at the time. But on the phone, he was, he was, he sounded, he sounded good. Yeah, and he had made the mistake of um, looking at a website of a of a of a man that he really wanted to be with. He 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 called it, you know, wishing from afar, and um, the man. Just didn't respond. And Pat made the mistake of going to his website one more time. It was a man that he'd met in Munich. Mm. and um, you know, they had really just had one dinner together, and Pat just started obsessing about him, frankly. Mm. So he told me on the phone I just went to this website and i couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about him and i I was going to go to the student union and I was going to get aspirin, and I was going to overdose on aspirin. And then I went to the um, the infirmary on campus instead, and they checked him into the hospital. This was at Stanford. And right? this was at Stanford. That yeah. was this, um, like, late winter, I think, in February of two thousand five. And um, so he called me from the hospital. We had a great conversation. He said he had thoughts of suicide. And I'm thinking in my head, nothing. And I said, Pat, I don't know what to say. And he said, Okay, but I'm all right now. And so I said, All right, who doesn't think of suicide? You know, sure, yeah. who doesn't say they're gonna throw themselves off a cliff? Uh, you know, for to be melodramatic. Um, or wouldn't it like like you think, oh, this would. here's a
0: final way to deal with this. I'll just kill myself. Think yeah. of that fleetingly, even yeah. if you're not serious That's about
1: it. That's how I'm going to get yeah. out of this situation. Right, right, right. And I'm thinking he's where he wants to be. He, he is in the best place. I mean, I let him basically make all the decisions of his life because they were all perfect decisions they were all wonderful decisions
0: he was an an adult
1: he was an adult yeah he was an adult yeah i mean ryan wurtz wrote me um ryan worked for he he worked pat's good friend in berlin and also a stanford graduate um worked for ambassador timkin who was the ambassador to germany and um he took pat to a party at the ambassador's (laughs) mansion i mean they had a great time That's fun. <laughs> they really had a great time and ryan wrote wrote me after pat died he was old enough to have top secret clearance he was old enough to know state secrets yeah that is how society felt how society thinks you are a, what you were able to handle when you're 23 years old and i guess i was i was a victim of that i I think one thing I I liked about um, learning about depression is that um, Peter Kramer, in his book Against Depression, said that when you're dealing with a depressed patient, you are basically dealing dealing with a body double. You're you're (laughs) dealing with like an occupying government, and you really don't know who you're talking to. Are you talking to Pat? Pat? Or are you talking to who Pat thinks you want to hear? Are you talking to somebody who wants to kill themselves? Or are you talking to someone who thinks they're fine? So in a way, I think Pat was deceiving us, fooling us, because I think in a way he had made up his mind. And Mm. sadly, I've learned once you see that path, everything else is shut out. And so people kindly wrote me stories of suicides that could not be prevented, no matter if you or I or anybody had been there, that you're with a suicidal person, you turn your back for one minute
2: and that person
1: is out the window so it's it's just the 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 biggest conundrum the biggest puzzle the biggest scourge I see of mankind because I think there's a bit of a blurry line between suicides and then murder suicide what's the difference between someone who kills 50 plus people in las vegas and then shoots himself what is the difference is it is it something that we can see in their brains like we can see um in a depressed brain
0: Mm. yeah and feeling well in that case it's like the anger taking that anger out on a world that rejected them yeah and pat was a kind person you and and such a loving person yeah told me a story about how he drew straws to get the bigger room and he <laughs> gave it to his sister <laughs> like kind stuff like that i remember he'd always you know he'd always be so supportive of my music like i have all my recording equipment there and that quote of him in 23 was we were doing i was doing demo stuff and he was so he'd be up all night doing his uh problem sets and i'd be doing music <laughs> and like stuff like that where he was just such a great friend i've never had had a friend like him again and I know I never will, and I like being able to honor his friendship by talking about him and performing that song. I've had so many, such a response where people like say, you know, I th- thought about hurting myself and knowing how it would affect the people I love, and how it, like seeing how much how hard it was for the people Pat loved is what kind of made me have second thoughts. And I think that's like a one positive thing. Oh
1: my God! They, thank God they were reachable. Yeah, really. That's. I am I mean, I even had kids come up to me in school. I was teaching in middle school when Pat died. And I went back to school a couple months after he died, not knowing if it was the right move or not, mm-hmm. because believe me, I was not the same person. And I walked into my old class, and they were crying. They were crying for me. And then... Kids would come up to me and talk to me about how they just realized they were gay and how they knew they were gay. And and all this because they knew what had happened to Patrick and they knew who he was. I mean, it surprised me how much they knew about him. Um, And so, yeah, Um, I started a safe safe place safe space program at my school um, i spoke to the, to the school about how it's you know you don't understand how you you are offending someone when you say that's so gay yeah <laughs> and I, I guess just you know unsadly that you know you know when pat died that whole movement was was um starting you know the the um the ally the gay ally movement i mean he'd come out to me before he before he died and i had decided a long time ago even before he came out that whenever he did if he did what was i going to do well i was going to love him Mm. and nothing was going to change so when he did come out to me i said he said i'm sorry no grandchildren and I said, I don't care about that. I just want you to be happy. Oh. I just, if you're okay with it, I'm okay with it.
0: That's beautiful.
1: I just, thank gosh I got a chance to say that.
0: That's, well, when, would he, when did he come at you?
1: Ah um, oh gosh. It was probably right around the time he was in the hospital. Wow. And so, I guess about a year before he died. But um, And it was really great because then it opened up all kinds of conversations (laughs) about the goofy things that he had had done. Like, (laughs) oh, he was so hilarious. You know, he he told me about a time when he was at a club in Berlin. And apparently the clubs in Berlin can be, you know, (laughs) shall we say, a little risque. Which is great because maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to just act out, you know, sure. When you're (laughs) discovering who you are. And then you need to go through it and, you know, do goofy things. And then you come out and it's like, okay. Right. I'm I know where the center is, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. So he met somebody at at a club in Berlin, uh, which his friends took me to, which was another whole story. But anyway, and he was waiting for him in the back room of this club thinking, is this a good idea or not a good idea? And then, impetuously, he decided it was not a good idea, and he slipped out the back door and disappeared into the night.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I th- I thought, oh. oh, thank God, you know. Um, because there were other times when he thought it was a good idea. Mm. And to him, it was a good idea because he needed to sort of break through this barrier right of discovering who he was and i was just so touched that you know once he came out you know we could talk about anything it's awesome anything the, the the you know the the time he had an affair the time he broke up with the boy the time the he, he the boy didn't want him. He, I mean, you know, all the back and forths that you go through, and um, and after he died, I I kept asking my therapist. So many people wanted him.
0: Yeah, he's a very handsome guy, very in shape, beautiful man.
1: <laughs> and yet, again, I go back to Peter Kramer in his book Against Depression, who gave me the clearest explanation of depression that I ever read, which was, and maybe I was just in the right time and place to receive it, but it was that depressed people do not recover from disappointment.
0: Mm.
1: Like when we face a setback, we have something good that we did that we can counteract that terrible feeling with, okay, but remember you know you still did this something good um, you're going to be okay well depressed people can't do that their their disappointments have no limit and i think pat was one of those people
0: and it's like his intellect had no limit either you know he was a man who lived without boundaries yeah. really and yeah. that's what made him like such a beautiful and, and friendship he'd do anything for his friends or you know stay up all night for a math problem like those are the br- the brilliant people are the people who are like in another world yeah and, I'm, and it's been you know getting to know his friends and I don't know if I told you this my our friend mike we went to the Stanford campus and sat on his bench a few days ago because there's that bench dedicated to him in the in the garden there oh
1: for goodness sakes I didn't even know about that.
0: Yeah, I think it went in 2010 or 11. So we sat in his bench. It's like where his place he'd like to sit.
1: Is this Mike Love?
0: Yeah, Mike Love. Yeah. 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 So we went there because Mike was at the, the uh, Max Planck school getting his PhD in Berlin. So I used to, when I tour England, I'd go see Mike and we'd remember Pat and think, go to places he went and, you know, what was your last conversation like with him? And did you ever feel like it was going to be your last conversation
1: or? I, of course, it's, it's all tainted, you know, at the time I was trying to support him, but he was, I could hear his voice was very tight and he couldn't, it's almost like he wasn't breathing normally. And, um, and that's a very regretful memory. For me, because um, it was not long after New Year's, and I knew he wanted to um, connect with this, reconnect with a um, a young man that he had met in one of the clubs. He was a DJ in one of the clubs in Berlin. And the summer before, in um, 2005, right after Pat graduated, he had met this young man in a club, and uh, at first he didn't want to be with him. You know, Pat and I had many conversations about. I don't know. What do you think? Should I go with him? Should I not go with him? And I said, well, okay, let's look at the pros. And, th- you know, I mean, we went all back and forth. Um,
0: and by the way, it's kind of touching my heart to know that both you, as both people who have dated men, <laughs> <I> could relate <laughs> on that.
1: That's,
0: that's kind I of I didn't cool. see any difference, really. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, it's like you're looking
1: for the same things, you know? <laughs> right. You're, you know, it's to me, yeah. it didn't really matter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just. That's very beautiful.
1: Yeah, you know, it was. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just always felt that way about Patrick and Libby. I was I was worried that of course they were it was a harder road. And um I wrote him that in an email, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a tougher road, but then I began to learn this is not a choice. You know, you as Libby once said to me, Lib, mom, why would I choose this?" Yeah. You know, what I mean it's <laughs> just it's so hard. Right. But anyway, the last conversation was, you know, I'm not proud of it all, but I asked him how things went on New Year's Eve if he had been able to reconnect. And boy, his voice just went way tighter, way strained. And I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I, I said something like, "You, can, you can do it, Pat. You, mm. you can do it." You know, we we'd had conversations, and I don't remember if what I said was in that exact conversation, but. I just said I was so sorry and I just, you know, I just hoped for him. I just hoped for him. I can't remember. I mean, God, I wish I had said so many other better things like, do you need help? That's what I should have said. And then I should have gotten on a plane and I should have gone over there. But
0: he he didn't. I mean, he probably—he, I'm sure he didn't hint at all that he was thinking he about not. hurting himself. He did not. And this is a so good that's point. that's not your
1: fault. It, it's a good, but you know, you're the parent. Yeah. So you're feeling like you got to go a little farther than halfway sometimes, you know? And I remember he said, uh, you know, I've been sick. I've missed a couple of weeks of work. And I said, oh, oh my gosh, Pat, I'm so sorry. You know, are you sick? Do you have a cold? Right. And I think if he had said, I'm sick, I would have... But he didn't he said no no I'm fine yeah I'm fine and I thought okay I guess I don't have to do anything more I mean we had talked in the in the previous fall you know 2005 that um you know you I said you, you know what about he said maybe I should go back to Stanford and see my doctor I said wow all the way back to Stanford why don't you just get a doctor in Berlin hmm. I said is it a language problem he said no because by then he was very fluent it took him a while initially he would joke that it took him about 10, 10 minutes to put a sentence together in <laughs> German but anyway cuz you know the I don't everything's all turned around <laughs> yeah I don't remember Mike love <laughs> <laughs> would be able to explain it because he's very fluent, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we talked about a lot of the issues that Pat was having. And um, I thought when you, when you get them out there and you look at them, they're not inside where they're destroying you, you know. They're outside. Somebody is seeing it the way you're seeing it. Mm-hmm but uh depression goes beyond that. Depression is not logical it's not it's an emotion. it does not react to rationale and um and i that's the way i've I've always tried to use rationale to get my way out of certain situations, and I thought. Here is the smartest person, I know. Like you say, perfect SATs, scholarship to Stanford. Um, on and on and on. Played piano magnificently. I.
0: We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. We
1: we haven't, but.
0: Brilliant musician.
1: Um, the link that I sent you, to his concerto, his uh, Saint-Saens concerto is. Is just, is just over the top. I mean, he was a, was he a senior? Maybe even a junior in high school when he played that. Mm. And I had it remastered yeah, so that it would sound more like an orchestra uh, rather than just pad and then he had a, a friend on a synthesizer. Anyway, if you get a chance, I highly recommend it. But how could anybody who is so accomplished not understand that you have a better chance if you're alive than you do when you're dead. Right. But I guess he didn't want any more chances.
0: And that's what you and I sitting here, like trying to put these pieces together, we can speculate on that. And that's the whole tragedy of this. And, and it's been, you know, the healing has been the, I think one thing we can get from this is it hurts, but it doesn't hurt like it did the day I found out, you know, it hurts though in a different way. Yeah. Like a, like having a an ankle that always kind of is numb when you twist your ankle. Yeah. What Lissette, what was it like the day you got that call and like how did you get through like that week when you found oh. out?
1: Well, it's it's torture. Um it's um I just think it's not news that you can uh take in at all. And um, so my first reaction was, he can't be. Right. He's, he's, he's got to be breathing. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to keep him breathing. And so um, hmm. we did. We went to Berlin right away and uh, met his really good friends, Ryan Wirtz and Steve Price. Um, the people at the Stanford Center in Berlin, which I highly recommend um, visiting another Pat Shrine. um, Mm -hmm. They very kindly um, got rushed approval from German authorities to put a bench and an apple tree on the property of the Stanford Center in Berlin for Pat. And now because Ryan Wurtz has also passed away, just this last December at 38 years old. Mm. Um, There will be another apple tree out there too. So it's very appropriate. Um, As Karen Kramer, the director of the Stanford Center wrote me, um, the two apple trees will be able to cross pollinate and make more apples, which is really what Pat and Ryan had. They had that cross pollination. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the night that Pat killed himself, Steve called him up to ask him for dinner. Um, that day, Ryan was texting him. Um, when he was in the process of killing himself, there were text messages coming in on his phone, which he left outside the bathroom uh, oh. where he died uh, on purpose so that he couldn't hear them, I'm sure. Um, he was reading uh, The Sorrows of Young Verta. And he had the uh, the book face down on the coffee table in his apartment, uh, open to the page where uh, Verta steps behind the curtain. And why doesn't one go there? Goethe says, "It's because we don't know what's behind it." And so it's the moment when Verta decides to kill himself. And um, I think Pat saw so many similarities between himself and Werther in that book that he, I'm assuming, felt that probably Werther was the only one who understood him at that point in his life, that he could not handle disappointment. And yet, when I started reading about how Goethe wrote that book, he wrote it and basically six weeks in, I think, 1774. I mean, it was a huge sensation in Germany. He was basically a a rock star of his day. And yet, when people started killing themselves over reading that book, dressing like Werther, there was a story of somebody who was found in a river in Germany with um, that book in their pocket. Um, It was banned and... Uh, Leipzig um, and Pat told me all this wow he knew all this he knew that it was a dangerous book um, he knew that uh, it, it was hugely popular that it had a it had a very sad effect on people but at the time that was the only thing that was feeding him I think and yet when i when I looked into why Goethe wrote it he he pleaded with people not to turn his poetry into reality. Wow, he did not want people to take that story, which he wrote uh mainly in reaction to a friend of his committing suicide and another uh love triangle that you know another um rejection that he had faced, but certainly not for people to take that to heart and do it themselves.
0: So in a way, yeah, Pat knew it was dangerous to, I don't know, there's yeah. some danger there, but some, yeah. like that's another another confluence of unfortunate things, Yeah, but things that no one could have predicted or had any influence on. Right. When you got to Berlin, like and different time zone and having to deal with all the logistics like i'm sure it took a while to really feel the loss right but like when do you think you first started to accept that this was this had happened
1: i guess it just comes and goes you know it's yeah. not steady it's um off and on it's uh just just like somebody smacked you in the face with a two-by-four it's just like that moment you have after you've (laughs) you've just gone through some really big violent action and um you feel dented um i i guess torture is the best word i can describe and yet guilt 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 is right there behind it. (laughs) Guilt about how you read this situation completely wrong. You thought this person had so much foundation, had so many resources. I mean, Ryan and Steve gave him names of therapists because Pat told them that he was going to kill himself. And they thought they had talked him out of it. So they were much closer to the situation than I was. He, he, Patrick told them much more than he told me. Um, but my reaction was, it's just disbelief. Right. It was just complete disbelief. And honestly, if he walked in the room right now, I would just be glad that he spent the last 13 years somewhere Right, I wouldn't even care that he, you know, faked his death or whatever <laughs> scenario I came up with in my mind. It's just like, I don't care. You're happy. You're alive. Yeah, that's all I care about. You know. So there's this um, bizarre part of my mind that hopes for that because you just, I just can't. I still can't really accept it. So uh, because I couldn't accept it, I. I tried writing about it and then um i had all kinds of bits and pieces about what i went through and um and then i tried to put them together and so that's what i'm finishing up now
0: so it's called it's um you new you finished this book right and it's called Uh, parade rest
1: right and and parade rest i should explain is um is it's a military term and um it kind of ties in with um my grandparents uh my grandfather was an army officer for 30 years and um, and then when he retired he they lived in wilton connecticut and they named their small farm in Wilton, Connecticut, Parade Rest. Mm. They had a doormat called Parade Rest. So the whole thing, the whole history about Patrick started long before Patrick. It started with my mother's suicide um, and then went back to her parents and on and on and on. It went back so many generations that I began to put Patrick's death in perspective. And so I thought, what is this? Why this backward push to to go back all these generations when really it's, it's this one death that I'm consumed with? And the realization came to me that I'm getting perspective on Pat's death. I'm putting it in a long line, in a long parade of life and death. And so the the name came Mm. to me because it's a military term. It means that a military parade um, can can stand and be in a position that's uh, not quite at attention. It's a little more relaxed um, than being at attention. It's kind of between uh, attention and at ease. And you know when your your feet come apart, and you're you're at some kind of rest. Mm. And I began to realize that it was just a metaphor. Mm. It was a metaphor for the long parade of generations I was looking at, um, and how when my grandfather retired, um, it it was a rest from the the parade that he had lived in the military. And um, and that's what. And, and Pat became a part of that. He just became a part of that parade. Yeah. And his parade rested.
0: Yeah, it did. And I guess one thing is he would have been, he would have hopefully stopped having that pain, but he was not in pain, you know, mm. anymore. And he rested, he, he, he made the choice to rest. Yeah, forever. right. And then that's, you know, yeah, that's still hard to like come to grips with.
1: Yeah, I I thought, okay. Was he in pain? What was he not in pain? What what was he feeling in the moments before he died? And one thing my therapist helped me understand is that if she said, if it's if it's any help to you, the people who kill themselves the way he did, which was through Uh, Carbon monoxide poisoning. Carbon monoxide robs you of oxygen, and the way Pat did it was to burn charcoal in basically an airtight bathroom. And she said, "If it's if it's any help to you at all, Pat was so determined on this plan because that kind of suicide takes a lot of planning. Right. You've got to find." charcoal in berlin in the wintertime that's not available you have to order it online which is exactly what pat did even though he and ryan wurtz were making plans for the next weekend right pat had already ordered the charcoal pat was saying sure let's do this or that yeah because they got together on the weekends and they did really great things and all over berlin went to clubs you know went to the the jewish museum great stuff aids lectures Pat emailed his boss that he was going to be on work on on, on Monday morning. Mm. He would be there. Mm. He had already ordered the charcoal. Wow. So she said, if it's if it's any small consolation to you, just know that by the time he started the process, he was maybe in no pain. That he was determined and that everything else was out of his mind. He was mechanically going through, plugging up every hole in the bathroom, the drains in the shower, the drains in the sink, Mm. the cracks in the walls, everything. The towel under the door. It takes a lot of planning and She said it differs from people who might use a gun. People who use a gun, she explained to me, maybe a little bit more impulsive, they have a chance to change their mind. Hmm. Pat, he wasn't going to change his mind.
0: Yeah and he was a scientist an engineer and
1: he knew exactly how to do it i right. said how did you learn he he said he went to the student union before he got hospital, hospital hospitalized at stanford mm. he went to the student union i know I, i'm i'm so sorry to be taking this lightly but it, it's the way he he said it to me he said i i looked up how to do it on a computer at the student union because <laughs> i said suicide how did you even he said I looked it up I looked it up online and I, and so after he died I tried looking it up and all I got was sites on to not do it mm-hmm. and I could not get past them I mean you got to be on the computer a long time or know it a lot better than I do to really get the actual plans to do this yeah right so he he was determined andrew that's that's all i can all i can say i mean i've talked to other young men who have tried it and one thing they tried to make me feel better about is that when they were going through the process they were not thinking about their mother and I don't know why that made me feel better, but Mm -hmm. because I thought, wow, you didn't know you had a total, I mean, I can't, I just can't believe that people who loved him did not enter in, but they don't. They just, they just don't because that's what people who have tried it and failed say.
0: Yeah. Like that, having to block out those people in your heart to, to go through with it. Um, and it's interesting because I, I think the last time I talked to him probably was like fall of 2005, but it wasn't much words, you know, we hadn't talked that much, you know what I mean? And that was online. And and it's like, we we talked less and less and and it's like you, you go back and say, Oh, I should have found what if I'd found the right words or what could I have yeah. said and I don't think that that helps. And I think a lot of like the healing is accepting. And that yeah. sucks. <laughs> That's yeah. hard.
1: You're I mean of course I I I blame myself every day. And then I flip flop and I I look at it, I try to look at it from what I saw at that time, and this is again what therapy is all about—to try to get you to see what you were feeling in the context of the conversations that you were having, not uh, from in the, in the hindsight of here's what the consequence was. Um, you know, it, 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 you tend to judge. I I try not to judge myself too harshly because of what I remember from the context. But in the case of suicide, that's all wiped out. Mm. You judge yourself by the consequence, plain and simple. That's it. That's the only gauge you can use. Yeah. So that's what we're all doing.
0: Yeah. Because it's... Right. The consequence is such a binary thing. He's not here. And... Yeah. But we can keep his memory alive. And that's like a antidote to that, I guess. Yeah. And talk about this and being able to express the feelings and signs of depression and knowing if you know that it's something in your mind or in someone's mind, that that helps us understand it, that having medical professionals or, yeah. you know, but that I guess that only can do so much too. you know, you can't force someone to, to go see a doctor or f- have them fly home. You can't. Pat was a grown-up and he would make he was going to make his own decisions anyway yeah and I guess that's maybe some of the heartbreak of being a parent, right like yeah having to let him he had to let him fly
1: yeah
0: and that's a way of showing you yeah not
1: day. knowing you know really at what point do you intervene and um, yeah yeah I really I really fudged that point completely um,
0: but if he'd asked you for help. Like, Mom, I need I need help. Please come to Berlin. I need you. You would have been there in a second. Yeah. He wasn't asking for that.
1: Yeah. He? yeah. he was very astute at reading cues, and I'm not sure whether he read something. You know, my little cheerleading from the side. You can do it, Pat. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if he was reading. Okay, she's... To let me handle this, and um, you know, I should have known it was just too big for him. But I just, I wasn't getting it. I just, I wasn't getting how he could be so disappointed that this young man who, who he met in a in a club in Berlin, a, a DJ, uh, would reject him. I, I just could not understand how that got him to wanting to die. And again, I think it goes back to Peter Kramer and Against Suicide that depressed people do not recover from disappointment. And by the way, the more depressive episodes they go through, the more vulnerable they are mm. because of the biology of the brain, which he explains in a, in a very literary way, a, a lot of research, but I think that book came out in, 2005 2006 and oh, wow. it's maybe outdated now yeah. but at the time I needed to see depression and he showed it to me
0: that's that's really good good that you found that book yeah and it helped you And this book you've written hopefully will inspire and show another side to people so let's talk about the process of writing the book you said you've been working on it for a while
1: yeah yeah. um, there were just so many really magical moments from the first trip we made to Berlin. The Stanford Center had a memorial for Pat. Um, we came home from Berlin with so many wonderful Pat stories. I mean, all good, all of the there was so much good. He, yeah. he, he had such a great time.
2: yeah.
1: I mean, Ryan Wertz was really my inside source on on uh, what Pat was doing. He spent a lot of time with me. Um, the funny things they did together, you know, they would, uh, Ryan worked at the American embassy in, in Berlin, and, and Pat would meet Ryan for lunch, and on the outside of the embassy is um, the German police, and then on the inside of the embassy are the... Uh, the US Marines, and Pat would have to show his passport in order to get in and go oh. up to Ryan's office. <laughs> and he would joke to Ryan that he was thinking of slipping his phone number into his passport to one of these handsome
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: One of these handsome Marines.
0: That was going to have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He yeah. was just hilarious yeah. like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then he and Ryan would go to lunch at the Reichstag because they oh, said wow. the Reichstag had great cheap food. And I guess in those days you could just, you know, march right up to the top uh. to the restaurant, which I went to see. Now you have to make reservations at the rice Reichs- mm. even to get in to the Reichstag. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there were just a lot of really magical moments. And um, it's like, it's the community that, that, Get you through yeah um and I just had to i had to I had to record that
0: like so it's a, so the book is the story of the communities you've connected with that ha- yeah. have helped you heal yeah and right. and and the stories of his friends and everything yeah and how was the uh how was it therapeutic and helpful for you uh, as a mom right a lifesaver yeah
1: <laughs> Um, the community was huge. Um, yeah. The writing is 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 tortuous. It's like you were asking how you know how did you feel when you first heard the news? Yeah, it's it's just like having your heart ripped out, and this is um, you know brings that back in a second, you know in a flash, it'll all just come back. Uh, why you know? But in trying to find out why, I think I learned a little bit about why. And that was that was that was helpful. Uh, when I when people say depression is a disease, I I see it visually now. I see um, I see a little bit of, of of brain breakdown in my mind. I don't just see um, a completely irrational act right. anymore. Right. And so I just I guess I wanted to see I wanted people to. Come away with something, you know, I mean, it's one thing to just talk about who this person was, but honestly, I felt like I didn't know him anymore yeah i I thought I can't write about him, I don't even know who he was anymore mm. and and yet there was a there was a a path that I took that I thought um, maybe we can all react a little better than I did. From now on, um, maybe we can actually lead someone by the hand to the doctor or the hospital, or mm. you know, when when Pat died, uh, and then then there was the Virginia Tech massacre. It was a young man named Cho who I think shot the thirty-two people and then himself. And I think President Hennessy, the president of Stanford, then wrote this um, uh, kind of an open letter. Uh, in the Stanford Daily, about what can we do? You know, what can we do? Well, I decided I would give it a stab. And I would, I would try to tell them. And my point being that you have to go to them. Um, somebody who is is that low is shutting themselves off. I mean, erasing themselves. In Pat's case, digitally. Er, in every way. Right. You have to go to them, and. In my case, that meant I should have gone to Berlin sooner. He might have killed himself afterward, but I would have felt a lot better about myself afterward. President Hennessy was wondering what he could do, and I said, you got to go to them. And yet, somebody wrote back through the daily, online, I guess, and said, you know, what are you, you were expecting, you're expecting us to be a nanny state, you know, you're expecting nannyism. And, you know, fair, fair criticism. At the same time, you ask the question. I'm going to tell you one answer. You might not like it, and it might not be practical at all. Mm -hmm. But...
0: I remember seeing that your letter and that person's response. I thought that was very unkind. And oh, you remember I that? I saw that. I remember because it was yeah. I don't know, know why I saw it, but I remember seeing your letter and thinking, you know, here's a parent who's lost someone. You're giving practical advice, mm-hmm. like what? That's very unsympathetic. It's not helpful to make someone feel bad for that. Yeah, I mean, it must have hurt your feelings.
1: Yeah, I thought, wow, that was cold.
0: Who I wonder who that <laughs> was? Probably not a student.
1: I don't, know, I don't remember who
0: that was. That was cold, and yeah. like, like, yeah, that's a practical solution that that's one way if someone is suffering to really try to monitor them. Yeah. And yeah, that's.
1: Yeah. And yeah. yet Pat was in a, he was in a loving environment. I mean, this is not to say that there were not people there who would help him. There were people there who would help him. Um, He had a, he had a boss at uh, Siemens where he worked, who was just amazed by Pat. I mean, yeah. they, they, worked on a uh pat tried to explain it to me to his you know uh technically illiterate mom (laughs) uh they worked on a graphic simulator at at siemens and the boss thought it would take two weeks pat did it in three days wow he was he probably pushed himself too hard that probably didn't help his mental state but at the same time they were close they worked well together Um, pat loved coming with ideas and mathematical solutions and um i read some of his um his programming professors at stanford wrote recommendations for him i mean he was well loved he he brought people into his life he was social he had boyfriends
0: yeah and and he knew he was loved yeah and he knew he was loved that's something that i it's giving me peace you know knowing that he knew that i really appreciated him as a friend and um i just wish he'd thought about how much we would have missed him yeah make making that link you know and but i i yeah i i i know it's like honoring him with the song was was nice and i just this podcast is a way to talk about how we've tried to heal from the pain but you always feel like there's something more you can do and you don't quite know what it is. Yeah. Except to be appreciative every day and of the people we love. And yeah, I don't
1: yeah. know. It's, it's write like about it. Yeah. yeah right about it. I mean, how are you going to, you know, it's like Libby, Libby feels this so acutely. Um, you know, they're two minutes apart in age yeah. and they were close. And, um, so her, her her thought is, you know, what do I do? Do I do something for Pat? Do I do something for me? What do I do? And what she's ended up doing is getting a master's in uh, psychology and working on getting her license and working in uh, an emergency um, center that, that handles acute uh, psychosis. So people who are very, very um, ill, mentally ill, uh, come into this emergency crisis intake. And Libby, Libby is the first person they see. Wow. So that's how she's doing it. And it's, I mean, my gosh, when I just think of how I skim on the surface of life, you know, She's right there in the trenches every single day. It's really, it's just so exceptional.
0: It's amazing. So she's made it, she's kept his memory alive by helping people who are suffering. Yeah. And um, to have a twin, to lose a twin, like, and to come out of that so strong and helping others, like, what a beautiful
1: daughter. It's, it's, it's just, it's just wonderful. It just gives you faith. It really does. So, you know, and the aftermath has been all about that. You
0: and know. now you have a granddaughter, right? Yeah, from Pat's right. older brother.
1: <laughs> right, and Pat's older brother has this um, just amazing family. They're just strong, been through their own hardships. Yeah, and Addie is just ah, uh, they're just such great parents to her, and she's she's adorable. So yeah, it's gives you heart. It really does.
0: I remember I met Colin in um, Seattle when he lived there, and and just really liked him a lot, and it's been cool getting to meet your family. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's an upside. Like I maybe would have never met any of you guys and yeah. being able to, like, it's sad to piece, to try to put the pieces together, but I feel like we'll all always be friends hopefully. And yeah, I do too. And, and I'm really, like, really excited to read the the whole book. And um, yeah, maybe excited isn't the right term, but it's, I'm looking forward to like learning about your journey. Well, uh, yeah,
1: thank you, Andrew. It's, 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 um, uh, it It took me to some very strange places, yeah. um, but sure. all good, yeah, all good and um we're just gonna continue and I mean the fact that you're celebrating the ten year anniversary mm-hmm. of the album, uh, which you know uh, and the song twenty three is is to me amazing that you've been able to combine um, this music. With something so sad and and kind of dark, um, I remember seeing you perform it in in uh, San Francisco, thinking, "Okay, how is he going to get this, you know, bopping crowd oh, yeah. to um, want to listen to something in, with a lot different temperature?" And um, bam, yeah. they did it. On a dime, and this is this is to me the lesson that I love of uh, having gone through this, that I have learned over and over. Whether it was talking to seventh and eighth graders in my school, um, who are just realizing, you know, they're going through adolescence and they're realizing that they're this or that or having certain feelings, whatever they are, uh, that they would, you know, actually want to talk about that to um, having great conversations with Pat about everything he was feeling, to then going to the um, gay pride parade in Berlin in 2009. And, I mean, I was the oldest person there, easily. And, I mean, it was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely... These kids, they're not kids, really. I mean, they are I shouldn't even refer to them that way but it it, you know that they I carried a picture of Patrick at Mm. Siemens and I put his dates and they would come up to me and give me hugs in the middle of the parade yeah because they knew right away what was going on you know because when you open up um, you know some of the gay club magazines in in Berlin there's a whole page of people who have passed away Mm. so They are familiar with the problem. And, of course, it's Berlin. Yeah. I mean, 70% of that city was destroyed in World War II. Oh, right. So...
0: Talk about coming back from a tragedy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They've they've seen it. They've seen it. And Berlin's really become it's a progressive place it's really it's just
1: completely swung yeah Yeah. it's completely swung
0: that must have felt good to get
1: those hugs from those people i felt more at home there (laughs) than anyone had a right to be it was it was i mean pat's friends have just held my hand every step of the way yeah and that's because of him
0: yeah it's because of him well i see a lot of pat's heart in you and, (laughs) and his smile and like It's just why it's like, it's people, we're all dealing with it too, even now, 13 years later. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You think
1: nobody's going to feel it like you do, but, uh, I forget really that he had really good friends and, uh, that they didn't, they didn't understand it either. You know,
0: and, and, you know, I wanted to share, I wanted to end telling you a, a dream I had, like it's, uh. It's Probably like maybe like five years ago, I dreamed that we were somewhere on campus and he was there, and it was not weird that he was still alive. Mm. And I was like, well, Didn't you die? He's like, No, I'm still here. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's that's fine. And I'm like, And I, he said, But this is the last time you're gonna see me. And I said, Oh, and he's like, I want you to know something. And I said, What? And he said, I want you to remember to keep laughing, that's all I want you to remember. Wow, and I remember I hugged him, and I remember just waking up just sobbing and it was like i don't know if he came to me, if it was like something like he came to me from another world or that was really him but that like that moment was the time i really could let go and i've tried to keep the joy alive you know keep keep this good spirit alive and yeah I, 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 maybe that really was his spirit you know See, so yeah. i just wanted to share that story
1: and i'm glad you did yeah <laughs> i didn't know that but yeah I have to say that um, the fact that other people mm. feel that way.
0: Yeah, you need Kleenex.
1: Yeah, you too. Yeah, thanks. Here. <laughs> we both need one. <laughs> uh, uh, really helps. The fact that other people share the pain yeah. really, really helps. Um, and I think it's I mean, I'm—I'm no—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. That uh, you know, you get through based on what other people show you. And I remember reading uh, about that a little bit in a book called um, "Why Bad Things Happen to Good People."
0: Mm, I've heard of that book.
1: <laughs> and. Uh, It was about um, a rabbi named Harold Kushner, whose 14-year-old son died of um, premature aging, I think it's called.
0: Oh, progeria? Yeah,
1: progeria. Yeah. I think you're right. So at age 14, this young man looked like 70, and, um, and so he explored this question in the book, which... I think um, helped me understand how he um, came through it. And his best solution was community, that's what did it. Um, His, you know, his his, um, synagogue was just phenomenal. Uh, They just never stopped coming, seeing Mm. him, Yeah. Uh, Helping him, talking to him, bringing food. And um, I don't think he ever did figure out the God part, but um, it was the community that definitely worked. And for me, the, the God part wasn't really working in the traditional sense of faith, but the way it did work is that the Bible is very good at grief the bible is very good at dealing with adversity and i um i really enjoyed the stories and i i and i i took heart from them a lot you know a lot of literature is about death as you know and yeah and the guilt that people feel afterward and and so certainly mary's reaction after jesus is crucified is just I mean, it just doesn't get any more powerful. So the only reason I know that is not because I went to church that much. I did not. But I had to teach the Bible when I was mm. in my middle school. And we had to look at one of the books of the New Testament. So I began to realize, you want to look at grief? That's a great place to start. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: And maybe God is the people coming together. Yeah. God is the way we... Show I see your suffering. I care for you. Exactly. And. Exactly. And, you know, I remember when we went to see his, his graveyard, his grave, and they they hadn't put the tombstone yet. And, and you were showing me his plot where he was buried. And I said to you, something my grandma said before she died, that she'd be in heaven waiting. And I said, you know, Pat will be waiting for us there. And you said, I, I hope so. And we both looked at each other like, you know, maybe that's true. But to to speculate on something that's enough you know yeah yeah Like i like to think i see him in a dream i see him again and we'll all be reunited and hope is really powerful
1: yeah it is powerful
0: those stories are powerful and yeah that's a great metaphor like mary finding out that his son had been her son had been you know
1: yeah i mean really that's what christianity is all about it's all about the death of someone who they would not let die and so they didn't
0: Right, and keeping its memory alive, and it's a similar thing. You love someone, you keep their memory alive. Yeah. And, this, and also the Bible is about, yeah, how you get back on your feet after this mm-hmm. thing happens. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all, we've all we've all been trying to do that. And when your book comes out, I, rest assured, I will definitely be letting everyone know. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, and I'm really proud of you for staying strong and being a good grandma and being a good friend of Pat's friends and having time and making me lunch and it's just been this has been sad but like i really will remember this day forever
1: i was very (laughs) kind of you to come this far out of your way and i mean you're going on tour on friday Mm -hmm. my gosh i mean andrew you must be out of your mind with things to do and and we're looking forward to seeing you in boston that's just wonderful news
0: vip tickets (laughs) all right (laughs) that's great news yeah so
1: we're doing doing a show in boston and so maybe
0: some of you you go you can Meet past mom. Okay. (laughs) All
1: right. I'll be there.
0: Do you have a, there's a blog, right? Where you post stuff.
1: Well, there used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Love set it up for me actually. Oh yeah. um, Shout out to Mike Love. Yes. Very big. Mike was, I mean, must have felt like, who is this person (laughs) emailing me about setting up a blog, but (laughs) set it up. He did. And, um, um, it's, it, it, I, I admit I'm I'm not great at keeping it up. Nor am I great at keeping up my own website. However, because I've you know really sort of been all consumed with making sure that when the book comes out, it's as good as I can make it. And um, it's been through editors. I mean, many people have held my hand. That's Believe good. Believe me, many <laughs> people. I mean, I, I listened to your um, oh, with great envy. <laughs> I listened to your podcast last night with Eamon Dolan. Oh, Eamon. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, what a savvy, <laughs> smart, sharp young man. I just thought, that's who I need. I need somebody <laughs> like him because who, who wants to do this? Who wants to, to write right. a book about their son that died? You know, right. what I mean, nobody. I don't, I mean, this is the last thing I want to yeah, be doing. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and yet, I'm not going to let him die. It's terrible to say, but I'm just not going to let it happen. So in order to keep him alive, I have to make it way better than is my natural instinct. And that means getting every ounce of help from everybody in it, from everybody I know, from every person I can beg. Um, I don't care who it is. It just has to be good by... Other people's standards, yeah. not just mine.
0: So it's been collaborative in a way.
1: It has been a huge co- collaborative, yeah.
0: But I'm sure it's hard too. Like to edit it, you don't want to. You want to put all of his life in there. So, like we were talking upstairs when we were looking at his room, like I t- told you, like how songwriting is a lot of subtraction. Yeah. And so it, it must be painful. Like re- even removing a sentence is like you have to think hard about it, right? Or yeah, is it kinda, you do. You do. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've. I mean, as an English teacher. I did have to learn a little bit about writing and my best tool is to let it cool off and also to read it out loud, mm. which sounds extremely cumbersome from, for an entire book. However, it really is, it really is the best standard that if, if you can make sense out of it while you're reading it out loud, then, then, then you're halfway there, at least halfway there. So um, I did. I read the whole thing out loud. I think I did that a year ago. Um, I trotted it around to some agents. I, I wrote some query letters. Oh, my gosh. It's exhausting, though. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? No. I'm, I'm just... I, I've just gotten too far. So uh, I bought InDesign. I laid it out. Mm. Um, learned what I needed to learn to get it to look halfway decent. I thought... Darn it, this is this is me. Because I read somewhere that even after you if you get accepted by an agent, it's two years. Mm. It's two years before the book is actually published, I thought. Yeah. And then then who has control of it? Right. Then who is running the show? Right, you know? right. I mean, I want choice over the advice that I accept or not. That's you great. You know what I mean? And so So you're anyway. gonna
0: you do it DIY I'm publishing? Going, I'm
1: going I'm going Going it alone. That's great. If anybody wants to jump in, or I get nervous and I, you know, need some help, I'll certainly uh, <laughs> dial some people up. But <clears throat> well, so people, so okay, so mm-hmm. if anyone in
0: the publishing world or editors are listening, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Well, that's that's a great question. Um, Maybe I they can do, email
0: me, and I'll link them with you. Well,
1: that that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do have a website that Libby made for me, and it's. Um, pretty simple. It's just com, and you can email me through that website and there's information cool. about the book on that website. Um, it's dot com. Okay, cool.
0: And they'll see that from the title of the episode. Your name will be the title. Okay. Cool. That's cool. Have you ever, do you think you'd ever do like an audio book for Audible? Cause I know people love,
1: Audible. um, um, I thought about it. Yeah. And uh, it's a great idea. Yeah. And I'm very tempted, but there's some German in there oh. that um I really have to brush up on. Maybe I'll get Mike.
0: Yeah. You know, and and you could probably Mike is good. There there's a site called Fiverr where you can hire people to like read things in different languages. Interesting. So I can tell you about that. Like you could send in the text and they send you the file and you could drop that in. Oh, okay. So, I didn't know about that. Cuz I heard now with Audible you can kind of submit yourself, you know? Oh, you can? You don't need to, you don't need um a publisher. But I think oh, okay. Audible's yeah. People need to hear the story,
1: so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. You know, and that's a good gauge for me. Is it yeah. reading well? Does it does it read does it read well? And, and and that's another reason why the Bible is so good. The King James Version. It was it was written to be read out loud mm. in church because, of course, most people couldn't read. There you go. And so, it's it's a great it's it's a great way to s- set a standard for your writing.
0: Yeah, and people. Nowadays, you know, it's like the podcast medium and, and mm-hmm. audio books. It's a way to – we're talking about community. Mm-hmm. People feel less alone Exactly, when you hear that human voice. But.
1: Yeah, you have a great community, Andrew. Oh, thanks. I have <laughs> learned so much. I'm not kidding you. Um, you know, when when my father and, and his wife went to hear you when you were playing something at Stanford, you know, they thought it was great and awe, and they loved you, and they loved Pat. <laughs> um but when Pat died, um, I stopped listening, reading, and, you know, unless it had something to do with suicide. I or Pat had told me that it was great music or something like that. I mm. I was shutting everything out. <laughs> but this, uh, you coming out here uh, to Northeast Connecticut, which you know, there's really not much else out here. Um, I realized I had to I had to sort of um M C Lars binge or something, I'm not sure what you call it, but I started listening to your podcasts and I thought, oh well, you know, who who are these people? They're so like many episodes. Half my age or something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I just could not believe how professional they were how incredibly capable they were (laughs) yeah i think i started with sean donley okay that young man taught me so much i'm not kidding you the difference between um input and output how i was at a stage of my life where after pat died no more input yeah that's it yeah done nothing i don't care about any of that stuff no no fiction books none of that yeah still that way it's the output now and Mm. i think he used the example of i don't know going to a a meeting or something in santa monica about something he was working on and thinking to himself you know this is really not as important as what i'm actually working on what i'm actually creating and his gauge was if if you know, when you're thinking about this to use 90% work, 10% marketing or meeting or, you know, doing what other people want you to do or, and he was curious how you kept that balance, which I thought, you know, your answer was really good. You just kind of go with the flow.
0: Well, th- thank you. Yeah. That, that, that I'm glad you listened to that episode. Cause Sean is an example of someone who's done things independently, you know, and mm-hmm. he was fortunate to have that show. And, um, He's an inspiring guy to me too, you know?
1: He sounds like he, he would be. He yeah. really does. But honestly, then I went on. Okay, then there's MC Hawking. Oh, well, who's this <laughs> person? You know, I'm MC Hawking. I don't even know what MC stands for. <laughs> and it was a fabulous story about meeting Stephen Hawking or right. performing for him. Yeah. And then you were involved in that. And that was exciting. And then I came to the end, yeah. to the um, dark hole song oh, at the right. end
0: yeah
1: i want to tell you andrew that was drop dead unbelievable oh, i had not input anything for years yeah i, have, I don't listen to music anymore because it just makes me sad yeah it's pat and that song cut through i mean it was so full it was so grand it was such a full sound he is phenomenal
0: yeah. Phenomenal. And, and, you know, Ken, M.C. Hawking, like, he's had his own struggles with depression, and music for him has been such an outlet, you know? And I think tr- connecting that with the astrophysics of the black hole, it was really a cool concept. Oh, it
1: was just, it worked beautifully. And, of course, <laughs> you know, you're all speaking so quickly, I can't understand a word you're saying because I'm, <laughs> I'm old and halfway deaf. <laughs> However, I didn't have to. Right. Because the music was so beautiful. Yeah. It just it, the the violins. It was like, whoa! Yeah, he, I'm, I'm.
0: I was. I was grateful to be on that song. I <laughs> it's bet you were. Pretty cool. I bet you were. Uh, you know, and and now, Lisette, you're on this list of cool people I know. Yeah, right. Strong <laughs> people, and that's why I like doing this podcast because it becomes this like digital canon of interesting people I know who are. The theme is people who have survived in in a changing industry or through adversity. Oh yeah. And it's like yeah. Uh, or and and friends and and usually it's a venn diagram of those things and you're someone who's you no know, i don't i see you've gotten stronger and yeah you know you really honor yeah. your son
1: yeah what are you doing i'm living yeah i'm 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 trying that's all
0: i'm here we're both here right. and right and yeah well thank you for your time
1: thanks andrew it's just been i hope i didn't blab too much it's
0: no, I've it's hope been
1: I, a great outlet for me.
0: I hope that uh, it was okay talking about this stuff. Uh,
1: oh, it's wonderful! I never get the chance. I mean, I mean that's one thing about writing. One thing about the book is that normally when you talk with people, it's on the fly, and you can't really carry on a conversation like this. You know, you sure. you, you even with your therapist, you know, you're. You're, you're starting to go. <laughs> you're on the clock, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're you're starting to go in one direction, and then you know they want you to see it somehow, and so the direction changes. But in a book, um, y- you don't have to be interrupted. You know, it's a conversation that you can have; nobody can cut in.
0: And that's a little bit what Eamon was talking about. Yeah, Reading it is exactly. an uninterrupted
1: experience. Exactly that you're not. You, that that um, e-books have you know carved out a little niche for themselves. Yeah. However, the uh, the printed book has not gone away, and maybe that's one of the reasons is that it's just you and the book. It's not all of these little things that you can click on and distract yourself, and and fool yourself into thinking that you're getting the full value. Right. You're not.
0: Right, and that's the why I like this medium because it allows me to talk to people and Mm. be uninterrupted, and we're not looking at our phones or you know we're not distracted. And um, I thought maybe it'd be cool if we could end with I don't know if you ever did you ever hear the Twenty Three remix?
1: I'm not sure if I've heard the remix.
0: I'll send you the MP three of it, but it's about I met a girl in London who's 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 uh, who lost her boyfriend, and she talks about how Twenty Three had helped her and it's about, and then I have a friend who does a guest verse about, it's just about, he, it's a ver it's about healing. And so I'll send it to you, but I thought it might be, it might tie in with this. It um, sounds perfect. Our themes.
1: It yeah, sounds perfect. Well, thank, yeah. you. Thank, you. Thank,
0: you, thank you. Thank you. This has been wonderful. We love you yeah. a lot. Huge thank love. Too. Thank you. Okay. Bye.
2: Bye. Check. You know, we've all lost somebody before. Had somebody selfishly take themselves off of this planet. Just want to say, I love you, Corey, man. I miss you. I know these kids, and they love to get high Probably to try to escape the same things that I Have battled with, and now stained into our psyche At one point or another we're all convinced that we might be just a tad bit broken, and only hear the bad, even when good things are spoken. We find solace in fine powders and bottles, and a lot of us become the demons that we can't abolish. So we apply the polish, put up a front that says we're okay, but in reality we're demolished. See, there's a lot of different ways to kill yourself. While some of them are blatant, others are hidden well. And when your family can't tell, and it's you against the world, but your whole world's a living hell. And if you're anything like me, you gotta know you're not alone. And evolve in
0: 23 remix I wrote this song four years ago a lot of healing has taken place since then. A girl in London told me that her boyfriend took his life He was 23, I said it hurts but it's alright I told her not to worry, he'd be up in heaven waiting I don't have the answers, but listen, this is all I'm saying I seen the demons too, they wanna take me down I felt the darkness closing in like no one is around I battled with this feeling even though I keep it quiet I miss my homie Pat, and I can't deny it I wrestled with the guilt like maybe it was all my fault and So I write these songs because it's all I got It's itching on a rocky mics with science every night Making music, touring Europe, keeping his memory alive We raised a grand for the AFSP Pat, I see you, homie, and I hope you're proud of me You said that rap was magic every time I did my vocal takes Funny how the heart can heal even when you feel it break I want you to meet a good friend of mine. This is Patrick Wood. What's up Lars? What's up Pat? How you doing man? Good. What do you think of me having my recording equipment take up three quarters of our small room in the Kimball dorm? No
2: problem man. I love you. I love you too Pat. Thanks Lars. Pat Wood, hey that's you.
0: Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Lisa, for your time. And uh, yeah, what an episode. Uh, Next week, we got Greg Carlisle, who I was in Kentucky a few weeks ago. And I drove to Moorhead State University where he's a theater professor. And we talked about his book, Elegant Complexity, a study of David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. And as I've wrapped up my Infinite Jest series on Patreon it's a cool way to kind of wrap up that chapter so be sure to check that out next week be sure to come see us nerdcoretour.com for dates and i hope everyone's feeling good and you know like i said on tour when i perform this song if there's someone you haven't talked to in a while who you love give them a call today or shoot them a text like hey i'm thinking of you you know just want to let you know you're on my mind because that's why we're all here right to, to be the, here for each other and let each other know we love each other and so I want to let you know I love and appreciate y'all for supporting the podcast and my music and my you know the memory of my friend and yeah I hope y'all have a good week see you next week thank you for listening bye oh and thanks to Lisette for her bravery bye guys